Hello, and welcome to another episode of Listen. I'm your host, Rupal Goyle, but you can call me Roops. This is a show where I give hot takes and social commentary. I really have, you know, some business giving hot takes about now. I think after two years of doing this, I'd call myself a little bit more qualified. This week, I'm going to be having a really lovely panel with some awesome ladies all about stigmatization of mental health in the South Asian community. So without further ado, let's roll. Would you guys like to go around and introduce yourselves? We'll start with Grace. Okay, sure. Hey, I'm Grace and I'm Pakistani American. My dad is from Pakistan and my mom is from the Southeastern United States. And I feel like I have a fun little take on the stigmatization of mental health in the South Asian community. And I'm so excited to be here, Rupal. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, Shelly, you want to go next? Hi, um, I'm Shelly. I am a high school student, high school senior from St. Louis, Missouri. And um, my parents are, my parents grew up in India, so I'm a second generation Indian American. And I guess my connection to this topic is that um, in, for the past few years, I've been running a mental health organization or initiative, and one of our main topics is South Asian mental health, and I'm super excited to be here, so thanks for having me. Of course, and last but not least. I'm Tasmia, and I'm a sixth generation South African, so I don't know where my ancestry lies, and I'm a fourth year law student, and I'm very, very excited to be here because I'm so glad that we're finally talking about these issues. Of course. And that's the first step, right? Is bringing it to light and bringing it out of the woodwork, out of the darkness where the generational trauma can fester and breed. And it's up to us and the current really interesting generations to really tackle it head on. And so I'm really happy that you guys are here. Thank you so much. I know it can be really personal, really difficult. So I appreciate you taking this time to open up and be vulnerable with me. So I take that, you know, very seriously. So just kicking it off, you know, clean slate, how we doing? How's the mental health looking these days? Because for me, it's kind of weird. You know, we have our ups and downs because of quarantine. But um, as things start to open up, I'm starting to reacquaint myself with society I'm seeing a little bit of an upswing, but I'm also going through a lot of um, personal professional changes at work, in my life. I'm about to move back to New York, um, leave my family, which is always a weird, bittersweet moment. But then my job is going through some changes for me. Um, So there's a lot of different things right now playing. So I'm kind of hovering between, I'm oscillating between anxiety at all times and trying to tell myself to chill out. So good times for all of us. But how about you guys? Um, okay. I, oh, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so I feel like my mental health is gravitating towards the bad side at this moment. And uh, the reason for this is because I'm currently in my examination session for university. And um, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, a law degree is extremely difficult. And it is something that is so challenging to get a job in the in the law field is extremely challenging especially in South Africa and it's just an oversaturated market and um I've been I feel like so many tests this semester and it's just it just took uh I've had blow after blow and it's just taken a big strain on my mental health I've had like five mental breakdowns in a day trying to study trying to apply for jobs trying to apply for internships it's just been really difficult but uh, at the end of the day, I think I'm doing a bit okay than I was before, like a few months ago. That's awesome. Shelly, how about you? Yeah, I've kind of had a weird year, um, so especially with the pandemic and school. And for me, I have college admissions coming up, and that's extremely stressful. So I haven't really gotten a break. And sometimes I just feel so burnt out and tired because I've just had so much going on with school and college admissions these past few months and few weeks. So it's been kind of crazy, but we're hanging in there. Oh, good luck you too. I know that the education system is so wild and the way we measure ourselves and the levels of success can take such a toll on the way we function. Oh yeah, for sure. 
Grace, how about you? Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting that we're all in very different stages of life. And I feel like it's like a very cool comparison because I just started my first job out of college. And thank you. <laughs> and um, I'm working from home. I might have the opportunity to go in the office a little bit, but like, I don't really need to do that. Um, <laughs> and so far, it's been going pretty well. And like my mental health has been definitely on an upswing ever since I can see more people and um, make more friends in, in the city. I'm out of Atlanta. And it's kind of funny because I'm realizing like there was a certain point in my life where I didn't really have good friends. And so now I'm making friends and I'm kind of nervous that they're going to, these friendships are just going to be transient or these people don't actually like me. And so <laughs> I'm trying to remind myself that that's just like a weird form of imposter syndrome when it comes to making friends. Um, but other than questioning myself at every single turn, things are going pretty well, all things considered. <laughs> that, wow, that sounds just like, <laughs> that sounds just like me with, <laughs> am I hungry or do all of my friends hate me? <laughs> and that's, those are the only two states I exist in. Yes. And sometimes I'm hungry and my friends hate me. And then what's the second option? Right. Right. I'm going to just stay in bed then. That's the lowest of the low. <laughs> that's the lowest of the low. It, you know, that's really funny that you say that because I, I thought about, you know, your point on making friends and having transient relationships really stuck out to me in high school. So, Shelly, you're going to experience this and you might relate to this um, as a student right now. But, you know, I, I realized that I don't really have a lot of, like, good friends in high school. Like, I had... You know, no one from high school is listening to this. So if I clown on them, it's fine. But um, no one relevant from high school is listening. So, it's, you know, there were, I had a, you know, when you want to be friends in a group and feel accepted, you will do anything to oh, stay yeah, in that friend true. group. Yeah. And, you know, I was in a group, I was in it for, you know, three years out of four. And only when I stopped and gave myself the reality check that your real friends are in your one Spanish five class you're taking. And the people in that Spanish five class are incredible humans. And everyone else has treated you very poorly. And no one is willing to accept that they treat someone else poorly. They think, oh, we're so great. We're so accepting. Look, mm -hmm. we've let this person into our friend group. But, you know, it took me a lot of time and a lot of healing post high school to realize that no, it was toxic and mm -hmm. I was treated poorly. And that's why depression is interesting. Depression and the memory loss that comes from it. People don't really talk about that a lot. Mm -hmm. But if you asked me anything about high school, and I've talked about this a lot on the pod where I have essentially repressed and suppressed every real high school memory for myself. I could not tell you where I sat for lunch freshman through senior year, probably. Um, or the people in my classes, I can give you shades of how I felt, but that was, I think the start of a very rocky mental health journey for me. And it did not help that my family did not understand, right? They said, just try to make new friends, expand your circle, um, go to events with them. Like people are nice to you. They're including you, but that leads me to my next question for you guys is how has, I mean, this is a big one is how has your family affected your mental health and how, how does that conversation take place? You know, then versus now, maybe for those of us in later stages, like, um, you know, Grace, Mia and me, we've been, we've had to have this conversation for a lot longer than maybe you Shelly, right. Right. And as a senior in high school, so wanted to get your perspectives on, you know, the role of your family and your well-being and how you tackle those kinds of conversations. Okay, I think I'll, I'll go first again. Okay, so I think for like me, whenever I brought up the issue of being depressed and the issue of being uh, having social anxiety or any type of issue dealing with mental health, my parents always brushed it off. They were very nonchalant because they felt like a, like it doesn't exist like I'm a, I'm a young child I'm still like a teenager at that time when I was speaking to them about it I was a teenager I had no responsibilities no obligations so there was no reason for me to be depressed 
And I think this is where all parents fault because they feel like just because you don't have any like major responsibilities, then you don't have the right to be depressed. And if I ever spoke about it again, I was given a, a cold shoulder and they always told me people go through worse things in life. There's people out there without any food. There's people out there living on the streets and you have a roof over your head. So just be grateful. And if you speak about therapy, um, it's something that they believe that's non-existent. They feel like it shouldn't exist. And uh, therapy is just something that's going to waste your money because we're we live in a culture where people believe that we should not be talking to strangers about our mental health. And they, and they, they feel ashamed about it. If you tell someone I go to therapy, they'd be like, why? And a lot of people are ashamed about this. And that's why you see a lot of people who do go... Um, from our culture, like from the brown community, they do go to therapy. They're very silent about it. They're very secretive about it. And they wouldn't just come out and say, I go to therapy because people are going to look down upon them. And that is a sad fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think shame is a huge part of it. Um, I feel like, so my parents are no longer together. They got a divorce when I was in high school. And in a way, I think that's helped the mental health conversations, because I know that if I'm at my mom's house, even though she might not like fully understand just because she's not me. And also she's, um, there's a generational divide and like a generational understanding that she and I don't really have that's in common, but she'll still listen pretty actively. And she understands that I'm in therapy and I take antidepressants because it really helps me. And so then if I go over to my dad's house, I'm just like, I'm just not going to talk about this. Like I got this at my mom's, I get this in therapy. Like this is not going to be a part of our conversations. But when they were living together, it was a little bit harder because I had to filter just depending on which parent I was talking to. And that felt a lot like walking on eggshells and it made it a lot harder for me, especially as a teen. Like I'm thinking about Shelly when I was your age, it would, it would have been so much easier if I had just known like exactly where to direct these conversations. And honestly, at the end of the day, no matter how accepting either of my parents are, the best place to direct these conversations is to a mental health specialist and not my parents. <laughs> but yeah, I think shame is a really big part of it because everyone just wants to seem fine. And they want to say, like, my family's fine. They're doing amazing. Like, Grace just graduated college. She started a job. But, like, we're not going to talk about the Prozac or the therapist, you know? It's everything else. We're going to elevate these other accomplishments. It's this concept of, like, lifting yourself up from the bootstraps yeah. in the South Asian community, especially after you immigrate. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, your parents will use the... I gave up my life. I mm -hmm. came to start a new life for us. I want us to have the best. Um, there should be amount of gratitude. Like you said this, Mia, like you should be, it's like you're in debt, right? And because of that, you're not, you're not allowed to complain because other people have it worse. Our parents had it worse. Um, we don't want people to know it's, it's this whole concept of, you know, what would people say, if they find out that, oh, your star student child, valedictorian, plays 10 sports that maybe three don't even exist. Um, oh, they're mentally ill? They're depressed? Like, and the interesting thing that comes out of that is sometimes, and by sometimes I mean always, our parents will tend to take that as a personal failing when you say, Hey, I need help. Hey, I'm depressed. Hey, I'm anxious to say, Oh, how did we fail you as parents? Did we not give you enough? And that's really interesting because now the conversation has centered around taking care of their feelings and you are suddenly no longer centered in that conversation when it should have been about you all in the first place. Mm -hmm. But Shelly, how about you? Yeah, um, I definitely agree with everything that you're saying. Um, mental health is, in my generation is a little bit different because um, living with our parents, um, if someone in our generation needs help, um, they can't really just go get it out themselves. They have to talk to their parents first. That's kind of like a barrier. And especially when you're South Asian and everyone is so worried about what other people think, it's a little harder to get, it's definitely much harder to get help. And I definitely think that that's a barrier for a lot of people in my generation. 
Um, my parents personally have been very supportive. I know that they're learning along with me about mental health. Um, when I sort of started talking about mental health at home and when I said I want to start an initiative that raises awareness of mental health, they started accepting it more uh, because they didn't really grow up with this concept in India. And they would tell me that whenever mental health was brought up, it was always just like a family thing. The family would handle it and they wouldn't spread it outside of that because other people, there's always like the judgment of other people, even in India, where like everyone's like super tight knit. And I think that's sort of been brought down to the United States. So like even here, it's the whole like you can't really tell other people about what's going on. Um, you just have to like paint this image of yourself as like being, you know, the perfect valedictorian, straight A student, you know what I mean? So it's all just about like maintaining a certain image here. Maintaining status, maintaining image, maintaining that normalcy in the community. Mm-hmm. Because the moment you shatter the illusion, you have othered yourself. Yeah, no one wants that. No one wants that in their community, especially in the tight knit brown communities we occupy where word spreads quickly. Exactly. Yeah, there's just a lot of gossip. Like everyone is worried about what other people are doing. So, yes. And it feels like you've somehow, when you find out that someone else's child is struggling, you mentally elevate your own and wow, look, Mm. they're so much better. Mm -hmm. When at the end of the day, we're all on a mental health journey. Mm-hmm. And most of our parents don't really know what's going on in the brains of our children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, I feel like it's a bit like weird that they don't know sometimes because we show so many symptoms, like always being in bed and on maybe not eating or sometimes eating your feelings. And they don't know this uh, and they don't notice. So when you tell them, I've been like feeling depressed, maybe like, really? We didn't know like but like the symptoms were there the signs were there yeah and I feel like sometimes that gets um tied back to like laziness they think that you're being lazy but instead it's just like you're so drained and it's more like you're struggling because you're depressed or anxious or something and then they'll be like you should be working you should be doing work and not being lazy all day so Mm -hmm. I also think it's the other end of the spectrum where they expect really high achievement um Mm -hmm both my parents did. And so we always strive for that. But a lot of times the most high achieving individuals, even if they're not showing like classic signs of quote unquote laziness are the most depressed because they're just running themselves to the bone. And you might be high achieving, but you might be just totally numb while you're doing everything. And I feel like it's, it's a big sign of like depression and anxiety when someone is just like a perfectionist in every single area, very type A, like myself. And then they're shocked when you just completely spiral. And it's, I feel like it's something that needs to be brought up that it's like, if your kid is doing so well, that's fantastic. But like, maybe ask them what they like, what makes them happy? Are they happy? These are these are conversations that I wish that my parents had had with me, especially in high school, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying. I feel like being in this stage of my life where I'm trying to figure out what I want to do and where I want to go, um, there are definitely a lot of expectations. And I think that a lot of other South Asians my age can relate to it, that our parents have expectations for where they want us to be. And I think it ultimately has to be about what we want to do and where we want to go and where our journey is going to lead us. But yeah, there are definitely expectations. And I have a lot of expectations for myself as well. It's not entirely from my parents. It's a lot comes from myself too. And mm-hmm. it's like when you don't live up to those expectations and you're just like working so hard, it's definitely draining. Mm-hmm. And it's really difficult, especially, you know, for those of us law students applying to college, where you are figuring out what high achieving degree you're probably going to shoot for or people that have graduated and are entering the workforce or in the workforce, it's the expectation to be successful because you've given this opportunity, special opportunity by your family to do it by -hmm. immigrating or by the resources or privileges you've been provided. It adds this level of stress and anxiety because it's just these unrealistic expectations, right? Of always being successful always being happy, always being a good daughter, a good sister. And let's not even talk about the eldest daughter syndrome. Like that's a whole different uh, (laughs) can of worms. But it's this feeling that when you're a perfectionist, like you said, Grace, 
maybe combined with something like a procrastination. Procrastination isn't you being lazy. It's you avoiding something challenging because you don't want to fail, right? It's me putting off tasks that in reality would probably take 15 minutes to execute, but the sheer fear of me messing it up Mm -hmm. or getting blowback is enough for me to put it off into the last second. But then when I tackle it, I can't do a half-assed job. I can't do a bang-up job. So then I exert all of my energy. And that cycle just continues and continues where I will just be numb in bed or I will be binge-watching a TV show. And it is not because I'm excited to watch the show. It's because I absolutely do not want to do the other task I want, like I need to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it goes from little things to big things. Little things like the little chores and grocery lists you set for yourself versus the big things like essays and studying for exams and things that can change the course of your life, right? It's that weight. And so a lot of us, especially in the South Asian community, have layered weights on us. And it's weights either from generational trauma or our family or other comorbidities with our stress or depression such Mm -hmm. as eating disorders or anxiety disorders or panic disorders um, or learning disabilities or like, right. So there are a lot of different things that stack up. Um, How have you guys dealt with, you know, just those layers, right? Because for me, I didn't even know I had different aspects until I came to college and then left and started speaking to an actual professional. And they were (laughs) like, you have some real, people-pleasing tendencies and your ability to deal with grief is non-existent. And I said, wow, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your feedback. Thank you for your feedback. <laughs> I will file that away and never look at it again. But it's it's that work, right? So how do you guys how do you guys deal with just the different aspects? Because it's it's more than just anxiety and depression, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I can speak to this. Um, I suffered from an eating disorder when I was in high school and it was really hard to kind of, I guess, just be with my family at that time. I mean, it was hard to be with anyone because I was isolating in general, but there's just so little understanding for people with eating disorders, especially like I had anorexia. And so there was a like distinct physical change in my body and my appearance. And it was just constant commentary that was already existing about my body. But now it was like, oh, you're bitta, you're too thin, like you need to eat, all this stuff. And it's just not helpful commentary. And so unfortunately, I felt I had to like separate myself for a time. And you don't want to do that. Like you want the support of your family. But if the commentary is like really detrimental, you kind of have to do what's best for your mental health and come back when you're ready. And I don't really, I don't love that. Like I just wish there was a way to still be with the people that you love, who you know love you so dearly, but they just don't, um, they don't have the same understanding. Um, luckily now I'm at, I'm at a good place. And so I can be with my family, but for a time it was really, really difficult just to go to gatherings because so much is centered around food too. And, um, yeah. Oh yeah. The food that brings us together and yet everyone feels like it's in their place to comment on the way you look and the way you carry Mm -hmm. yourself where it's completely unwarranted. Like if I don't get seconds, then like, why are you dieting? But if I do get seconds, it's like, oh, you must have really liked that, which is like so, oh my God, so charged. It's, it's It's never just like a comment about the food on your plate or like how many times you're going to the gym each week. It's always, it's always charged. There's always something more there. And that's, that's so awful. And it makes me like almost, or I don't really know what I want. I'm like 21. So I don't need to decide if I want to have kids, but it's obviously very like kind of detracts from wanting that because I'm like, I don't want to bring a kid into an environment where they're probably going to get their body torn apart. Exactly. It's, it's that weird. I hate that. I still feel a warped sense of satisfaction when someone's like, Oh, like, you look you like you look thin or not thin they'll never use thin but it's like oh have you lost weight have you lost weight and I'll be like I don't know but thank you for the compliment and that's what I'll leave it at and then my mom will get excited I'll get excited and then I have to think I was like wait 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 wait. that's not anything I need to be 
excited about or shelving into my brain as a compliment. It is a comment someone made about me based on who knows what criteria they decided, considering you haven't seen me in years. Oh, you look thin. Okay, yeah, of course I do compared to who I was as a child versus now I've changed and grown. <laughs> like, but it's it's this idea of it's so oh my gosh, your comment about it being charged is so true because it's never just they never no one ever says what they mean. There's always mm-hmm. an extra layer of commentary hidden that you don't understand until you're a little bit older. Yeah, um, I feel like, Oh, sorry. No, you're good. Go. I feel like they're always like they always exist in like backhanded comments. It's like you should eat more or you've lost weight. But like I feel like when people say that you've lost weight, they make it sound like a compliment. But that means that they're like noticing like when you've gained weight too. And then they're like, you should work out more. So it kind of makes me uncomfortable in a way. Like they're just looking at everything you're doing and just making comments about it. I'm like, can you just mind your own business? That's kind of, <laughs> I, I feel like, I, I don't know. It's the way that these comments are phrased, they're just so backhanded. <laughs> it's the constant scrutiny. Yeah, exactly. Of every aspect of your life. And that's another mm-hmm. really sometimes debilitating layer is you have inadvertently signed yourself up to be in the public eye of the community you exist in when you didn't ask for it. Exactly. And everything, everything you do matters. My decisions I made of where I went to school mattered. The decisions of what I studied mattered and the decisions of what I'm doing now mattered because Mm. I am not compared to all of my um, family friends who are going to be doctors or, you know, going to be lawyers or engineers what did I do? I'm a, I'm a consultant. I'm in the business world. People don't even know what consulting is. And a seven-year-old asked me the other day what I do. And I was like, oh, I help companies when they have problems. She's like, oh, so you're just a problem solver? And I've never felt so clowned in my life. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I really, that is me. That really is me. She was like, oh, and then watches me as I schedule meetings and answer emails. And is like, this is what you do. And I was like, even the seven-year-olds won't leave me alone. Please. <laughs> it's, just, it's just learned behavior. Yeah. I thought it was funny. But it's, it's that extra thing, right? It's that extra eye on you at all times. Did y'all have the feeling of like doctor or disappointment? <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of in this stage of my life where everyone is asking me what I want to do. And it's like, well, I mean, I want to do this one thing. But then again, like, I'm only in high school right now. And everyone's asking me where I want to go to college when I still like don't know yet. I still have like a couple of months or a year to decide. And I feel like there's just going to be so much judgment, too, because like everyone just tries to figure out where people are going to college. And there's even judgment about where you go to high school. Like I've gotten a lot of comments about that, too. So it's like, when can we stop judging other people for the decisions that they make? I, I mean, my brother, who I obviously love and respect and adore, is going to be a doctor. And I am not a doctor. And so I get a lot of interesting comments where, you know, people in the community will be like, congrats, Rupal. And I'm like, what, what did I do? And they're like, oh, you have a doctor in the family now. I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's that weird side by side of you have now taken one person in your family and elevated them to a status that is now difficult for them to uphold. It's you've put this extreme pressure now on this other human being on living up to these expectations of being a doctor. And it's like, I know you can relate to this, this Mia, as someone who's a law student in a very challenging career, dealing with a lot of really hard aspects of finding internships, jobs, exams, and succeeding, and then just having to live up to those expectations. How do you guys handle those expectations from family and community? And then how does that affect your mental health and well-being? Because for me, it was, it was in the gutter when I had to do that in high school. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest like I um I actually first at first I liked the val- uh, the validation that came with it that everyone was like oh you're gonna be a lawyer that's so great and um and I've 
always gotten like the question so when i'm in jail will you be able to like bail me out or when i commit a crime will you be able to like help me you know go free and that's like the most common question law students or lawyers get asked and um after a while i just felt a bit annoying that people actually um they people actually just think that you know you're there at their at their, at their disposal and you can do whatever they say and i'm just a law student so i have no idea how to even like argue cases but i have people in my family coming up to me and be like you know i just got returned from work but i think that it's like really unfair do you think that there's anything i can do for it or some people will come to me i got evicted uh, do you think that there's anything i can do but i don't know these things because i didn't practice as yet and yeah they definitely hold you to this high esteem but at the same time it's not a great thing because um as a law student you don't know a lot of things and people expect you to know everything and when you tell them i don't know maybe you should actually speak to a real lawyer and they'd be like what are you studying for why don't you know this oh, god that's awful Oh my goodness. And, and, and I actually had a, like a family member my oh. aunt actually telling me, you know, uh, aren't you going to be a lawyer? Can you help me out with something? And I was like, I don't really know. And she was like, but aren't you studying this? And I was like, uh, yeah, and she was like, then you're supposed to know. I was like, it doesn't really work like that. Yeah. Like, okay, why aren't you an expert already? It's been 3 minutes. <laughs> Come on, chop chop. <laughs> makes no sense to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the same thing to do with doctors. They're like, "Oh, can you treat me?" Can you diagnose me? Can you give me medical things for free? And all of my, you know, doctors and training peers are like, no, I've never even seen a dead body. I still have to learn <laughs> what the parts of the systems are. So I cannot help you there. That's so, that's so weird that you have now become the person, the go-to for legal questions you are not qualified to answer. <laughs> I actually have... Um, like a family member that's actually i think he just finished his medical degree and his i think it's an internship i'm not sure how they do it here but um he's not a doctor as yet like a fully like a fully qualified doctor or surgeon and he um we go to visit them and my my granny at that time she is now passed but my granny uh she goes to me and she was like i have this pain in my knee what can i do and he was like I don't know we have to look at the root of the problem which I don't know what that is and he was completely lost because he didn't know what to do he just got out of med school and you get these old people like I have a pain here I have a pain there like what tell me what to do <laughs> oh my god entitled <laughs> entitled to your knowledge love it it's well, kind of funny, though, because I feel like as a South Asian at school, I get questions about, like, how to do math problems because everyone automatically assumes that you're a genius. That's so, just like, a stereotype. Up, yeah, everyone will come up to me and they'll be like, how do you do this? I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> so it's like just the stereotypes. I felt the need to uphold that, when I, especially when I was in high school, because I, th I think I've um, kind of shirked some of the uh, expectations I hold myself to and my family holds for me just because after going through it, you just sort of, I don't know, like when people ask me, what do you want to be when I grow up? I'm thinking in my head, happy, sat like just satisfied, something, like anything. Wow. But nice. yeah, so, but anyways, when I, when I was in high school, I definitely felt the need to be good at the things that um, were stereotypically expected of me. But then at the same time, I have, I really like history and I really like writing. And those aren't usually like the STEM things that people really care about. But because I had the expectation to do all well in those, then it was like, oh no, good luck, stupid. You have to excel in every single subject now. And um, a part of that was I, like putting it on myself and then other parts were expectations from others. But I think like acknowledging the expectations you put on yourselves and being able to kind of lift those off first is the first step because you can't control other people. You can't control what they expect of you ever. So you can only think about the perception you have of yourself. So if you just kind of like brush it off, then you're able to, or I guess work it up. Like there's a lot of work that has to be done to do that, but then you're able to, to get there. Um, my therapist said the best thing to me ever. And she said, growing up is caring a lot less about what other people think about you and caring a lot more about, about what you think about you. And I love that. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Grace. Um, for me, I feel like I've always sort of been a really stereotypical South Asian kid. Like, I enjoy STEM and STEM classes and stuff. But I also, in a way, just, like, don't want to follow the herd. Like, even if I do want to become a doctor or go into medicine, I don't want to be like everyone else. I've always felt like that. I want to do things my own way. I don't want to, like, follow other people. And I think that's so true. But I also have these expectations for myself that I have to live – I feel like I have to live up to. So it's kind of, like, letting those go and figuring out your own way and, like, what you want to do and not just, like, setting expectations based on what other people want or what other people are doing, but really finding your own way. I This is so fascinating that you guys brought up these statements specifically about expectations of others versus how you view yourself and that self-love because I use an app called The Pattern where you plug in, you know, your birthday mm. and your birth and you get your birth chart and everything is a lot of fun. But Ripple, I love it. I love the pattern. I love the pattern. So oh my god. The pattern <laughs> drags me on a daily basis. So I had received one blurb from the pattern a couple days ago on feelings of inadequacy. And I'm just going to share a little bit of it because I think this is super relatable and very, very on the nose. So your self-esteem can get tied to what others think. You often feel criticized and judged by other people, but most of all by yourself becoming your own worst critic. This dynamic may have been strong when you were younger, or it might be something you still struggle with. Me. If you're, un- if you're motivated from a place of feeling unworthy, even if you do exceed your expectations, it won't change anything because you might spend your whole life striving for something that's ultimately unattainable. And that's the most painful part of the process, right? Discovering that even when you achieve ultimate success, it isn't enough to fill the void and relieve that heavy pressure you continually feel. Nothing external will deliver the self-love you're looking for. Only you can give yourself that. Oh my God, drag me. Drag Drag me straight to hell. (laughs) Straight to hell. There is no logical connection between effort and reward because... No matter how hard you work or how good you do, perfection is not going to be enough when you set that standard. And the sooner you let go, the easier it will be for you to deal with those struggles, to deal with that energy. Because that criticism that comes from maybe your friends or your family or your culture, you have to find the tools and resources and the people to help you feel empowered to battle that negativity right? And that's really hard sometimes. That's where the generational trauma and the community politics come in. But as long as you continue to accept that judgment from others and you continue to uphold that, you won't break out of it, right? And I completely feel that with the expectations you set for yourself and the way you um, tackle these, you know, tackle these issues, right? Like, for example, I never really thought I could have a hobby just for funsies. You know, for me, having a hobby always grew into being really good at it or quitting because I wasn't good at it. And I've started and I there have been very few projects I have started and seen to completion. Because if I hit a point where I'm suddenly no longer good at it, I get really frustrated. And that comes from being younger and... I really like to write. I was really good at writing. I was really good at poetry. And suddenly it became, oh, you should submit your poetry to competitions. Oh, you should see if you can win awards for your poetry. Oh, your friend won a writing award. Why didn't you? Why didn't you submit it? I know you're good. And it's like, there's never casual hobbies. It's never casual enjoyment of anything. It's constant pressure to actually succeed in all of those aspects even if it's something you do for fun and that's how you drain the excitement out of whatever it is you're learning I like to paint but didn't become an artist so I stopped doing that um the few things I've stuck with since childhood are playing piano um which I did take classes I did do recitals I did do like a grand showcase at the end so I did finish out still with that pressure on myself but I genuinely enjoyed it And then this podcast where I started it because no one asked me to do it and no one told me to do it, but I wanted to do it. And it was my internal motivation, even though it might've shirked um, some of the responsibilities I had for my community to not talk about this kind of stuff. Right. But it's, you have to find the things that energize you because you want to do it and you like it and not because there is this weird expectation, because that's how you just drain the excitement out of the things you do. 
And that's the road. To, like, I don't want to be depressed while playing piano. Like, that's the one thing that should make me not feel that way. So I really like that you guys said that. And I think it's super relevant. That goes along with the idea of like, you don't have to monetize your hobbies. Like you don't, you don't need to make money off of things. Like I think the, I I never realized I could have hobbies until I, I guess I finished college because Rupal, you know, Georgia Tech is a menace. Um, And after finishing uh, tech, I was just like, I have so much time. Like there are so many hours in these days. So I, I like, I read a lot. And it's really hard to be competitive with reading, but I kind of still compete against myself <laughs> in some uh, yeah. ways. It's like I have a good reads and I have a challenge that I try to hit, which, why? Add me on Goodreads. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm working on my <laughs> Yeah, so we'll, we'll compete with each other now, which will be even more toxic and fun. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think like finding stuff that you don't, there's no way you can make money off of it. And there's no, like, just, it's not feasible for you to go pro or anything like that. Like, I, I also like art, but I know I'm never going to see myself in museums. I just think it's fun. And continuing to do things that make me happy, but I'm doing it for no one else. That's the best stuff that keeps me in check. Yeah. I told yeah, everyone I- pretty early on. Sorry, Shelly. I told everyone pretty early on that I'm not monetizing this because my goal isn't to increase my audience so I can make more money it's to increase my audience so they can learn with me right and that's the joy of having a hobby that you're not stressing out that it needs to succeed I have not tied my livelihood to this which is a totally different thing right but this is something you do for yourself Shelly continue I apologize (laughs) sorry about that yeah um I've been painting and drawing since I was pretty young and when I was younger I would get frustrated when things wouldn't go right I'd be like why does this not look good it looks terrible and then it turns into just like throwing the thing across the room you know what I mean but um as I've gotten older I'm like why did I get frustrated about that it's this whole need to be perfect and now it's more like it's just an outlet if something doesn't go well then it's just it just turns into a meme it's a joke then but like if it does go well great but like it's just the whole need to be perfect you just have to let it go at some point you you just have to do some stuff for fun without worrying about how it turns out perfectionism ties to so many problems and perfectionism really comes i think right out of the South Asian community of having to exceed in all expectations. Like you mentioned, successful, the facade of having everything together with no cracks in the structure when we're all cracking every moment of the day. But we just try to duct tape it up until at some point you hit a point where everything is gone to shit. And it's like, oh, I needed therapy 10 years ago. But here we are, right? It's a process. It's a learning experience for all of us. Um, and I'm really glad you guys shared the way it affects you. I think it's really important. And I am going to send this to the group chat with all the Indian aunties in my community because it is a drag. And I would like them to hear it. You know, it's... Rupal, you're going to break WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel the Indian aunties are like the main problem in this whole mental health issue because they're the ones who's giving you all those bad comments and who oh is poking God. their nose where it doesn't belong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah good I, luck with that. I did an episode a couple episodes ago on careers, and I titled that episode Should, um, Should Unsolicited Opinions from Indian Aunties Affect My Career? question mark and that was an inflammatory <laughs> title <laughs> because all the aunties were like why'd you call it that I was like you should listen you should listen to that one because it's it's the same thing right it's our career conversation and that one was about you know my friend who was on track to be a doctor she's really good at STEM she aced the MCAT with you know a near perfect score was applying to med school And then was like, I actually don't enjoy this at all. And ended up getting, she's now working on her PhD in biostatistics and she works at NASA. Oh, wow. She was always a big space fiend and went to space camp, loved space. 
didn't want to be an aerospace engineer. So everyone was like, your next, be- be- your next best bet is doctor. And she was like, that feels like I've skipped a couple of steps, skipped a couple of careers. But, you know, she took that into her own hands, caused a stir because we all thought she was going to be a doctor. And now she's doing something totally different. But it's, it's the courage it takes to have that conversation and the courage to take that first step and understand and introspect. And it can be so painful. I know this. I know, I know the troubles we've been through and I know exactly how it feels to try to have a conversation and be shut down or be shamed for it and tell yourself, I'll pick it up another day. When will the other day come? It's going to come when you go for it, when you have that open conversation. So yes, I will be sending it to the aunties. And yes, I will ask them to listen. And my mom, you know, my mom and dad have been really supportive. And so if I tell them, hey, send this to the WhatsApp group, they'll do it. (laughs) I'm curious for the answers, though, because this is something that they now have to realize that, oh, my kids are going through this. My kids are dealing with this at school. This is affecting the way they work at home. This is affecting their relationships with their siblings, with their parents. And it is in your best interest to care. It is in your best interest to make sure your child is happy because that success will follow then. You can't put a what is it, square peg into a round hole. And that's what we just keep trying to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy we're all square pegs out here. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> Any last comments before I bring us all to a close? I think you're awesome. I think you guys are so legit I'm so happy you agreed to do this thank you so much I'm just really really glad that you decided to talk about these things because a lot of people are scared for the judgment of course and that you aren't like you you explicitly stating what the problems are and what needs to be fixed in our community in the South Asian community and I feel like that's that's just really great and, you know, I'm actually proud of you because a lot of um, brown girls are going to be scared to do this because they, they will get a lot of backlash from the Indian aunties, as you say. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And, you know, what are they going to do? Take my abs away? I'm not monetizing this. I have no <laughs> fear. I have, I have shirked fear of community judgment now because I am admittedly the most disappointing. And it's a great place to be. I, you know, I'm not a disappointment to myself and that's what matters is I have exceeded my personal expectations. I moved to a city I only ever saw in pop culture and thought it was totally unattainable. I started something that I'm proud of. I have made great friends. I've cut toxic people. I've taken care of myself and it has improved my relationship with my family and my friends. So why can't we all have that? Right. That is. That's what I want for all of us, especially I, brown women. And I think at the end of the day, we shouldn't care about what people say about anything that we do in our lives, because whether, whatever you do, people are still going to judge. When I was a bit younger, I was a bit, I wouldn't say overweight, but I was a bit chubby and I was like 13, but I weighed a lot, like me, like a lot. And I was a little fat and um, it was like baby fat because I was still really young. And then the Indian aunties used to say, you're a diet because you're young, but you're so fat. And obviously that took a big hit at my mental health. I, I like started to think I'm not worthy of anyone's love or affection. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to be in a relationship because I'm ugly. And then I drastically lost the weight and I became very thin. And they're like, you're so thin. You need to gain weight. And then I realized, you know, whatever I do, nobody's going to like it. And there's people, the people's going to just put you down no matter what you do. So at the end of the day, you worry about you and what, what makes you happy and what fulfills your life because your version of success is different to another person's version of success. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I have a friend who once told me that no matter what you do or what you're going to say, someone's going to judge you. And I think that's so true. It's just figuring out what makes you happy is the most important thing and just recognizing that you're on your own journey and uh, other people's opinions should it matter even though they're there it's just like trying to figure out how to block that out and I think it's important that we're talking about these things and talking about mental health even if we might get judgment for it because that's how we really end the stigma surrounding mental illness and I think it's just so important that we do that 
they will be uncomfortable conversations. It will make people a little edgy. But that's the point, right? Yeah, for sure. Yes, yes. But we can only create change by making people a little uncomfortable. But um, at the end of the day, um, we're the new generation. And when we have kids, um, we're going to be better with them. And we're going to understand mental health a little bit more. And it's because of our experiences. So at the, also at the end of the day, I'm like kind of grateful for this being this open-minded and for going through these experiences yeah and I think when we talk about things like this we support other people that are going through similar issues like they can start relating to it like if they're even if like their families don't understand at least they have a community of the next South Asian Americans that do understand so I think that's important Mm -hmm. definitely seeing a change Um, like for instance I might not send this to the aunties but I do think I'll send it to my cousins Because I feel like they'll get a kick out of it. They'll like it. But um, if I sent it to the aunties, they would just be like, why haven't you visited me? (laughs) Why are you you sending me this? You should have just come to Toronto and see. (laughs) Oh, no, we're not opening up any more cans of worms in our in our family friend groups. You do what you got to (laughs) do. That my gosh. Yeah, no body image and self-love and self-esteem is a whole different conversation in the South Asian community, another whole toxic, toxic area. But again, it ties into mental health, right? It's the way we view ourselves and the way we view love and acceptance and worthiness and self-worth ties so, so terribly into that. And so it has been a really long journey and still is and will be a lifelong journey for most, if not all of us, affected by that. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me today on Listen. Um, If you have any questions about mental health in the South Asian community, um, how to talk about it with your family or friends or resources you need to get the help, please don't hesitate to reach out. My panelists today, thank you so much for joining me. Had a lovely time talking to you guys, hearing about your experiences, and I view it as the utmost privilege for me to get your to get to hold your stories in my hand and put them out into the world. So I appreciate you, and I'm grateful for you for doing that as well, and for being vulnerable because it is hard, and we do live in a society of shame and judgment about it. It's taboo for a reason, right? So we are breaking those barriers. We're breaking the generational trauma chains, and I'm really proud of us for doing it. Um, as always, thank you so much for joining me this week on Listen. You can catch me on Instagram at Listen with Roops, on Twitter at Listen with Roops, or on Facebook at Listen with Roops. And as always, have a wonderful rest of your week. <laughs>